Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise that um, that you do not remain uh, distant or indifferent, but you come to us and make yourself known to us in the gift of Jesus, your Son. And yet, even in making yourself known, you're certainly never... Uh, uh, we, we, we can't control you um, despite our, um, our efforts. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us in, in parables and these stories, calling us to uh, not merely to, to hear, but to respond and to engage in life and relationship and faith in you. Lord, as we're gathered now in your name, be in the midst of us, and I do pray that you would open, most gracious God, your holy and your living word to us. And I ask this all now in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, I'm going to say a brief word, um, as you can gather with Mark 4 before us. We're going to look at that uh, this morning, the parable of the sower. Uh, we're going to take a look at that this morning, but I'm going to say just a very brief word uh, about what we talked about last time. One of the things I mentioned uh, about the parables is is this. It's a great idea. Um, uh, Shannon was one who was talking with me about the parables, and so um, it's a it's a great idea. But it's one of those where do you begin? Uh, I back in did anybody in college take public speaking um, or persuasive speaking? Um, um, good, all of you. Um, so that's good. Well, that's something. I remember taking uh, public speaking, and I had and I took public speaking and persuasive speaking. You can um, debate whether it was effective. Um, but I remember one of the things I had this grand idea, and I guess it was I want to say it was my first year. It was it was my first year in school, so I took public speaking and I had this grand plan. Um, that I was going to, I was also taking an intro to philosophy course. And so I thought, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take what I'm studying in philosophy and, and use that in one of my, uh, one of my public speaking. It was the, you know, five minute intro, three points, um, conclusion. Um, there you go. Well, in philosophy class, we were addressing, um, the, the issue of evil, um, in the world. And so I thought, well, I'll, yeah, I can do a five minute talk on that, right? So, um, <laughs> little uh, intro, three points, uh, and exit. And I can remember thinking, um, you know, that was, a, that was better in, in theory uh, than in praxis. And so just because, I mean, good grief, how do you begin to address that? Not that you could even resolve it, encapsulate it, but I remember feeling like this was, this was an incredibly futile effort. Uh, and so while this is not that, the, the challenge we have is that, is that the parables are... You know, there, there are 60-ish uh, parables that are told. How do you begin to uh, address and look at the different parables? And so what I thought thus far is we started last time, Luke 18, and we talked about the parable of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector. And for those of you here, uh, you remember for those uh, that, that weren't uh, the sort of quick synopsis of it, if you remember, one of the things about parables is is this. Jesus uses these stories that are uh, that are approachable um, that often deal with things that the people of his day would be familiar with and of course part of the beauty and the brilliance is they're they're still in many ways very grasp they're able to be grasped by you and me as well and in, in what they address and yet there's also some things that were particular to that particular time and culture uh, allusions and references that they would uh, that they would understand uh, more readily than you and me well just like um 
if I were to use uh, popular music uh, of today as, as a reference point, y'all would be able to grasp that uh, readily, maybe, um, and, and then, uh, you know, be able to apply that and help bring some, but if, you know, if, if someone's reading it 100 years, or even quite frankly, I mean, you know, 10 years later, 20 uh, years later, 30 years later, you know, once your music has gone to the oldie station, um, you know, might, you might lose some of that clarity. But a couple of things that we said about this story of the Pharisee and the tax collector is that the, is so often true in the parables, there's, there's a twist. Um, there's a surprise uh, in the way that the story is told. And, and that twist and that surprise invites you and it invites me to engage um, with the scriptures. And not only to engage with the scriptures, ultimately invites us to engage with God. Uh, in, in, a, in a healthy way to, to grapple with uh, and to try and understand the meaning. What is revealed about the character of God in this? What is revealed about the kingdom uh, of God in this? What light is shed uh, on you and me as well? And with the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, everybody at the outset thought they knew how the story would play out. Uh, the two men went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee was the respectable individual. You know, the assumption would be that he would be praised the tax collector was the despicable individual. The assumption was that, that he would be, depending on the severity, you know, condemned, uh, judged, uh, at, the very, at the very least not looked favorably upon. And, of course, uh, the twist is, is the tax collector walks out as the one who is um, declared righteous, uh, declared in right relationship with God. And we were, the bell was ringing and we were hustling out the door. But one of the things that I wanted to draw out from that is in the original Greek, um, the word that is used, and interestingly, the tax collector refers to himself as the sinner, um, sort of echoing Paul's words. Um, of course, he would have proceeded, but, uh, you know, Lord, have mercy on me. You know, Paul talks about himself as the chief of sinners, the foremost uh, of, of sinners. This man refers to himself as the sinner, but we're told that the Pharisee, takes pride in his own accomplishments as if God were to be beholden to him because of what a great religious guy he was um, and the things that he had been able to do um, in his life religiously. Therefore, he was quite certain that God would be very well pleased with him, uh, whereas the tax collector, uh, remember, beats his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me, um, the sinner, uh, is what it says uh, in the original but the big thing that we were drawing out from that is is this. The, the Greek word that he uses, and I'll get to this quickly before we all nod off, uh, but it is a big deal when I actually uh, get to it. Uh, it, it it's, uh, Lord, be mercy seated to me. And if you remember, that was an allusion drawn from the Ark of the, the, Ark of the Covenant, um, that God would sit there um, on, the, on the mercy seat. Um, that was something which was emphasized on the Day of Atonement when the people recognized um, their sinful nature, recognized that they on their own accomplishments couldn't measure up and be found righteous in, God, in God's eyes if it were based on their performance. So as Jesus tells this simple story, there's actually a tremendous amount of depth to it as well. Um, the Pharisee comes uh, on his own merits, uh, basically praising himself rather than God. Uh, the tax collector comes in recognizing his need and his dependence upon the mercy of God, and he actually calls on the promises of God that he would be merciful um, to sinners, and he calls upon God in his mercy rather than in his merits. And we hear that he walks away um, in a right relationship with God, 
not because of what he has accomplished, but because he's put his hope and his certainty in what God has accomplished. And so we started there last week because, uh, in, in many ways, I would say that is, um, that's the starting place for you and for me in faith, uh, is that realization, first and foremost, of our need for God. Uh, that, you know, regardless of who you are, that's, that's the beginning point, um, the recognition of, of our need for God. That's, that's where it all begins. And hopefully, and, and I would imagine, uh, in, if, if not in every, I would imagine probably in everyone's life by now, but if not by now, certainly soon, um, we've, we've all had those moments and those experiences in our lives where we said, you know what, Lord, I, I need you. Um, and, and, and I need you not just sort of, but I, but I need you desperately. Um, I need your power. I need your grace. I need your intervention uh, and, and your presence in my life. That's, that's where it begins the recognition, um, of our need. And so that's where we started. There are multiple parables, and, and in some ways we could call that parable both a parable of grace, uh, but also a parable of judgment. Uh, it's, it's sort of simultaneously a parable of grace uh, and a parable of judgment. Judgment falls upon those um, who reject their need for God uh, and say, basically, I have it. Um, I, I've, I've got it. I, I've, I've got it on my own. Not necessarily um, final judgment because there is... Uh, myriad opportunity to to repent uh, and to and to see the light, uh, but yet in that particular moment, uh, the the Pharisee um, walks away, missing out on on what's available truly in relationship with God, while the tax collector walks away uh, as a person who is restored and is free. And so that brings us first and foremost recognition of our need um, for God, a need for forgiveness and and for mercy. Uh, Frank Limehouse um, told the story, uh, not just the story, it was, it was an encounter that he had. Um, he was, I can't remember if I shared this last week, but he was at a, uh, he was at a party, and this happens to clergy with some frequency. When you're at a gathering, um, when, when people have a drink or two, it's their opportunity to tell you what they think about God um, and, and the church. Um, and so Frank was, a uh, guy came up to him, and he basically said, you know, this is always... <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's funny what people do. Say, yeah, you know, that's, that, that's great for my wife. You know, she loves the church and I'm glad she has it. And that's, and that's, you know, that's, that's great for her. But, but, you know, I don't need it. Um, I'm, I'm really doing just fine. I'm glad my wife has it. But yeah, I, you know, I don't need it. And Frank said, well, where do you, where do you go for forgiveness? Um, that, that was his, uh, that was his question. What do you, you know, where do you go for, for forgiveness? And he said, you know what? He said, listen, I've learned to forgive myself. Uh, he said, I learned to forgive myself years ago. He said, you know, God and I are doing just fine. And Frank said, I wouldn't bet the ranch on it. You know, that, was, <laughs> that, was, that was sort of Frank's response to him. Say, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I've, I've learned, you know, God and I are just fine. I've learned to forgive myself. Um, and so anyway, that first and foremost. And, and what we're going to hear today from uh, Mark's gospel, we will... Um, Jesus will quote some words from Isaiah talking about the parables, uh, and they're rather than prescriptive. In many ways, they're more uh, descriptive. But he but he talks about those who uh, whose hearts have been hardened, uh, whose minds have have been hardened in such a way that they don't recognize uh, that they don't recognize their need. Um, so we're in context as we begin. I've given you uh, the entire. We won't have time necessarily to do the entire chapter, but I've given you the entire chapter, the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel. 
And if you brought your Bible, you can turn to Mark 4. I've also printed this out um, for for folks to have as well. I want to say a little word, uh, a little word of context uh, about where this where this falls in Mark's gospel, because Mark, uh, as the other recorders uh, of the gospels, and, and interestingly, in the early church, they didn't refer to him as the gospels; it was just the gospel uh, as one. You know, with the recognition that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it was all the gospel. Um, there weren't you know the gospels; there was one. Um, gospel, and it was the gospel. It was the good news uh, of Jesus Christ and what God, what God had done, what God had accomplished once and for all in Jesus. But each of the, uh, each of the authors, uh, each of the recorders, were are to some degree they're narrators, uh, and so they're taking these true things. They're taking these miracles which Jesus accomplished. They're taking his teaching, whether it be in parables um, or otherwise, and they're. And they're putting it together as a narrator would in order that we might that we might see the truth. What John recorded, if you remember, John said, um, if if we put down everything that Jesus said or did, there wouldn't be enough books to hold it. But these things have been written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So, you know, John is very clear in his gospel. Look, we've we've put this together. He did. You know, more amazing things that are recorded here, but these have been recorded, these have been put together that you might know, uh, that you might recognize your need, that you might see God's um, provision. Uh, And so Mark has uh, the fourth chapter. One of the things about Mark, um, and this is something which you may know, um, and, you know, um, this is going to be a shocker, um, scholars debate, uh, but, but likely most scholars agree that Mark was probably the earliest of the Gospels written. Uh, and Mark's gospel is written intentionally it, uh, in, a, in a plain style. You know, he's kind of, I don't know, maybe you could call him the Hemingway uh, of the gospel writers. It's, it's, a, it's a more straightforward, more plain style uh, immediately uh, at, at once. Uh, it's, there's, a, there's an urgency um, to the way that Mark writes. It's kind of like my wife's texts. Um, you know, there's an urgency um, to them. You know, lots of exclamation marks, lots of question marks, you know, a sense of urgency um, to respond, and so Mark has that. Mark has that similar. Uh, Mark has that similar urgency uh, as he as he jumps right as he jumps right into it. And a word of, of context is Jesus talks about the parable of the sower in chapter three. So we're only obviously chapter three. We we've jumped right in, but but already uh, by chapter three we we see tremendous. Um, we see tremendous opposition to Jesus um, already, not only um, from the not only from the religious leaders um, have we seen um, resistance, but but also from Jesus's own family as well. Uh, and uh, this is in Mark three uh, verses twenty and twenty one. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it. They went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Um, so even at this point, uh, from his family, um, they're they're saying, "Wait a minute! Um, you know, you're you're getting you're getting carried away. Um, you're you're a nice you're a nice Jewish boy from Nazareth. Um, don't don't get the big head. Don't get carried away. Don't get don't get ahead of yourself here." So the the resistance is already uh, is already there. Um, what we see in the other gospels when Jesus teaches in the synagogue. At first, they're they're amazed at the at the authority with which he teaches, uh, and yet we hear uh, soon they become angry 
because they say, who does he think he is? Uh, we, we know who his people are. We know where, um, we know where he's from. He wasn't even on the dean's list. Um, you know, who does, who does he think, he, who does he think he, he is here? And so we see this opposition, which is already there. Uh, and then, um, Jesus talks about, um, blasphemy against the, the Holy Spirit. Um, and what it is, is if you remember, uh, the scribes, uh, and the, uh, leaders uh, from Jerusalem were saying that he's uh, he's possessed by Satan. Um, they, they didn't deny the miraculous things that he was doing because uh, they couldn't deny those. They were they were out there for all to see, so they couldn't deny those. So what they tried to do um, is to undermine is to undermine him and say, you know, he's doing this by he's doing this by way of Satan. Satan is giving him the power um, to do this. And, and Jesus, in response, says, you know, that's <laughs> he says that's stupid. Um, he, he said, if, "If Satan is against Satan, uh, he won't stand. Uh, a house divided against itself um, can't stand. Satan's not going to drive out Satan." And he said, "That's just that that that's dumb. Uh, that doesn't make sense." Is what Jesus says. He says, "How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan is risen up against..." himself and is divided he cannot stand but is coming to an end but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then he may indeed plunder his house uh, and so Jesus actually there is he's basically for those who have uh, ears to hear uh, he's giving notice he's saying you know what actually I've come to bind the strong man uh, I've come forth into the world I'm the one will actually bind um, the strong man. I'm the one who I will come and, and bind him and cast him out in order that the world might be freed, in order that you might be free, in order that the kingdom of God might come into the world, um, that people might be uh, not shackled and enslaved, um, but that you might ultimately be free. Uh, that, that phenomenal news, Jesus says, I've come to do that, and I'm going to bind, and I'm going to shackle him, uh, in order that the strong man might be cast out. Uh, Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. That's one of those um, verses that, that sort of rattles you a little bit, doesn't it? Um, uh, it it's kind of one of those, uh, I, God bless her, I, I remember... Um, a lovely lady back in the day, um, you know. Do any of y'all, do any of y'all ever get obsessed? Um, you sort of you get you get locked on to something, and it's hard to it's hard to let go, uh, hard to let go of that. Um, if we could go around the room, and you could tell us what that is. Uh, that'd be great. We could all sort of take a moment and share what's your particular. But I mean, all of us can get locked on to something. It's like, you know, I don't want to think about it. I, I, but it's just it, it it gets a hold of me and. And um, she was concerned that she had committed the unpardonable sin, and we would we would talk about this um, periodically. Um, and I and I tried to not in any simplistic way to say, you know, if you're worried about it, I think you're okay. Um, if 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 you're if you're worried about this, I think you can feel pretty sure um, that that you haven't done this. Look, everybody has lashed out uh, in in anger uh, in their if if not. Sort of verbally in their prayers and then they're talking to God at the very least in their minds uh, or in their hearts. Everybody's had those those moments of anger, those moments of frustration, those moments of struggle. Uh, look, join 
join the club. And the fact that you're concerned about this um, denotes repentance uh, and you're safe. But what Jesus is talking about here is is those who persistently uh, re- reject Jesus, saying he's working from Satan. That's that's what he's talking about here. Those who, who just refuse, despite all the evidence to the contrary, uh, that he is who he says he is, that he is actually working by God, that he's bringing forth the kingdom into the world. What Jesus is talking about is people say he's working, uh, he's he's working by Satan, or or he is Satan, or his message uh, comes from Satan. That's that's the rejection, that's the hostility, that's the animosity that Jesus is uh, addressing here. And all of this brings us to the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower is about the kingdom. Uh, the parable of the sower. And I, I share all that that comes before by way of this is the context that Jesus is doing ministry in. This is the this is the animosity and the hostility that has um, already produced itself before him. And he talks about, despite all of this, um, the amazing way um, that the kingdom of God comes into the world. And I and I'll and I'll say this: I've done the entire fourth chapter, and here's the reason. One of the literary techniques that Mark uses uh, is is what some call the sandwich um, technique, right? Uh, and and the sandwich technique is is this. Um, he'll start telling a story and or a parable, or, or there'll you know there'll be an encounter where Jesus um, heals someone, um, but in the midst of that, another story will be inserted in the middle of the story. Uh, and and I don't know, Jesus didn't have ADD. Um, you know, it wasn't like he suddenly lost. Oh yeah, what was I saying? Um, no, uh, Mark inserts this story in the middle of the story in order to explain it, in order to shed light that we might that we might understand it. An example of that might be in Mark's gospel. If you remember the the person that comes to Jesus about their child who is dying, and and we hear that in the middle of that story is the story inserted about the woman um, with the flow of blood who comes and touches uh, Jesus's garment, uh, and Jesus stops uh, in the middle of all that. She's healed and she's restored, and then attention is turned back to the child of this person who has since died, and Jesus says, "You know what? Um, this is uh, this isn't final. This is uh, for God's glory." And uh, and that child is raised, and that story which happens in the middle uh, of that encounter helps to shed light uh, on the whole seeing the power and the authority of Jesus who who he is uh, as the one um, who not only heals and restores but the one who actually has power over life uh, and death itself the the savior the messiah who's come into the world and so if someone will if someone will read us 4 1 through 9 please that would be great Awesome, thank you. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. 
and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty-four, thirty-fold, and sixty-fold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Thank you, Pat. All right, let me let me ask you this. Um, so really, verses 1 and 2 are the introduction which Mark gives, and it, and it begins there in 3 with, listen, um, behold. This is one that uh, y'all are probably reasonably familiar with. It's a, it's a parable. It's a story which Jesus told that you've heard before. What's, what's your first thought about this? What's your first reaction when you hear this? I don't want to be the seed scorched and withered away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, Terry, mine is the same. It's like, oh, I really hope I'm good soil. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of my yeah. That that tends to be my that tends to be my first response is um, yeah. I don't want to be shallow ground. Um, uh, what 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 else? Either in that vein or different. Yes, Brian. Mm-hmm. That just seems to be way beyond anything that I was going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, who I don't know if, if it was if we've assigned the saying to someone, but but comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, I don't know if y'all have heard that um, saying before. Yeah, exactly. Just saying, ah, yeah. At best, I'm ten. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be. Yeah, we tend to think, all right. Could that? Could I even begin to? Um, produce produce a hundred. Uh, that's great. Any any other things that y'all have uh, that jump out to you that you think about as you hear this? I think there's great clarity in the good soul and the other uh, conditions because they're short lived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's not much longevity to it. Yeah. I think we see this in uh, from businesses to marriages to to churches that are you know, they come out the gate mm-hmm. strong and then. Years later, where are they? Sure, sure. What happened? And so I think the, uh, you know, scripture talks about the good race. Right. Talks about that, and I think the good soul is a, you know, if you're running a long race, it can be a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not see the hundredfold over duration. Right. So I I think it's. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, I'm, I'm great at resolutions. Um, I'm a great resolution maker. I'm not a great resolution keeper, um, but but I can I can make a mean resolution. Um, uh, yeah, one of my main issues in life is I'm optimistic, um, and I think, well, I'll do better tomorrow. Um, and yeah, there you have it. Um, so, um, to, despite all the evidence um, to to the contrary. Well, I'll, I'll say I'll, that that's all. I really appreciate all of that and 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 resonate uh, with all of that. One of the things as this as this chapter goes on, and again, I've I've included all of it. He uh, after he so there's this parable which is given, and then in the middle of that, he speaks to the purpose of the parables, and he actually. Um, unpacks this uh, for his followers that they might understand it more clearly. So to say, okay, here's 
it's kind of like an English class. Here's here's what I was saying. Here's what this here's what this means. Uh, and then as it goes on, though, he also uh, shares this parable um, of the seed growing uh, really uh, mysteriously. And he also tells the parable of the mustard seed as well. And of course, um, for those of you maybe from Sunday school back in the day, you got a mustard seed, and you remember. How uh, it's, it's not even I can't even do my fingers that small. I mean, it's this little speck uh, of, of a seed and talking about the great things that can come uh, from the mustard seed. Well, let me say a couple of things. One, I think there's a challenge and this is a challenge in me. And, and I don't think I'm particularly special uh, in this is that I, I tend to um, the, the temptation um, to humanity is is this is to hear this and say, I want to be good soil. I need to make myself into good soil, uh, and and to ask myself, uh, which which isn't which isn't a bad thing, but um, but and I think this is a worthwhile question we ask ourselves. So what are what are the thorns in my life? What are the weeds? What are the thorns? Um, what are the things that I that I'm placing before God? What are the thieves of joy in my life? You know, what are my chief, not only idols. Um, but but what are my chief fears and anxieties? Um, you know where do I where do I uh, experience shortness of breath? I was talking to Paula recently, and I just said, so you know, I said you know maybe I'm a little anxious because I feel really short of breath um, all the time. Maybe I should go to the doctor, but I think at the same time it's just it's anxiety, um, and it's just sort of like that cumulative uh, ang- anxiety of uh, you name it uh, of just. Family life and uh, ministry life and/or work life and being concerned about this and being worried about that. So one approach is to think, okay, um, while parables are something which undeniably call for a response, as we talked about, parables aren't merely stories Jesus told by way of filler during a sermon. Um, you know, these these actually have an in, they have an intent, uh, they have a meaning, and and they're designed. Not merely to persuade, um, but they're designed to convert, uh, and they're designed to call us. Um, they're they're designed to call us to a response. Um, and so, in that sense, we're we're not dismissing the fact that the parables call us um, to a response, and they're intended to convert us. But I think one of the challenges that can come in with a parable such as this is again the thought of, okay, um, so what do I need to begin to do um, to make myself um, better soil? Well, let me ask. Uh, let me ask you this: um, How effective is soil in changing itself? You know, Jesus is telling this. You know, does the soil say, "You know what? I'm going to stop being sandy. Um, you know what? I'm going to stop being clay, um, and, and I'm going to suddenly, uh, I'm going to become good soil." Because one of the interesting things uh, about not just this parable and the whole imagery of, of seed and soil, but, but the entirety of Jesus' life and ministry. And, and Robert Capon is a, is a big one on this in his commentary on these, is to talk about it's, it's about death and resurrection. Uh, it, it, it goes, it basically, it all goes back, it, it all goes back to death and resurrection. It all goes back uh, to death and resurrection. It, it's, it's basically uh, in, in dying and allowing God um, to to raise us uh, as as new uh, as a as a new creation uh, as as new life. One of the things that, not surprisingly, I, I, I get asked from time to time is, so you know why did you um, why did you go into ministry? Um, and you know what? Tell me tell me about your call. 
And, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and that's one of those things. It's like it's a great question. You love answering it, but it's, well, uh, it, it's obviously it's kind of like a process. Well, there are a lot of things uh, which happen. But as I, as I look at my own life, in some ways I could say, in many ways, really, to be honest, um, part of it, quite frankly, is the, is, the, is the humor and the mystery of God. Um, how was I called into ordained ministry? Because God has a great um, sense of humor, um, is, is, as you see sort of repeatedly in calls. I mean, you go throughout the Bible, and, and, and God repeatedly calls people into ministry and calls people into, into significance in their lives. Again and again, he chooses people where it might be abundantly clear that it, that it comes from God uh, and not from that particular person. Uh, I could list myriad people. My, one of my all-time favorites is, is Gideon, um, you know, who put all the Bibles uh, in the hotels. Uh, and if you remember Gideon, um, it, back in the Old Testament, Gideon is threshing um, wheat in a wine press. Um, why? Because he's scared. Uh, he's, he's fearful the many nights. It's kind of like that movie Ants, um, you know, where the grasshoppers come in and they, they steal away everything that the ants had put away. Um, well, similar thing. He's, he's frightened. Um, and God uh, appears to him and he, and he, does anybody remember what he says to him as he's, as he's threshing his weed in the wine press, which was completely unproductive. But again, he was, he was scared. He was hiding. He was doing it. Does anybody remember the words which he's greeted with? Hail, mighty man of valor, um, the Lord is with you. So, you know, immediately, God's, you know, fabulous sense of humor, uh, it's, you know, it's not by your power, it's by my power, um, it's by my power working in you. And while I can point to certainly decisive moments uh, in my life, ultimately, in many, many ways, what I would say is is this, I, I, I was definitely not the kid people thought, um, one would go to the Citadel or two would go into ministry. Um, and so in that sense, it seemed like, well, you know, of, of course. Um, and so and people would be like, now, wait a minute, you do what now? Um, it was kind of one of those, hmm. Um, so, but, but <laughs> seeds, of, seeds of faith were planted along the way. But I can remember, too, there were some particular moments uh, in, when, I was, uh, when I was in college. And I can remember one particular moment. Well, before I, I remember just starting to read the Bible, um, just through various hurts and crises and and things coming unglued um, in my life, that I just thought, well, why not? Um, I'll start to I'll start to read the Bible, and I, I mean, I thought it was the Book of Job. Um, that's how that was my biblical knowledge. I mean, literally. My um, one time on the and I'm reading, and someone asked what I was reading, and I said I'm reading Job, and he started laughing at me, which is. Great evangelism right there. Um, I thought, well, you know, way to go. Uh, yeah, way, way, way to go. But I was reading the book of Job. So anyway, if you want to see, does God have power to work? Yes. Um, the guy reading Job in college um, became or became ordained. I've since, I've since read it a lot more, and I know it's Job. Um, but, uh, but I can remember also at one point going into the chapel and actually, you know, kneeling down and praying and just saying, you know what, Lord, I... I'm, I'm yours. I don't know. You know, the weight of the world is uh, I've, I've been trying to bear it and carry it for, for so long now. Um, all right. I, you know, I don't know what uh, I don't know what the future holds, but uh, whatever it is, uh, I trust you with it. Um, and, and I'm yours. Uh, and that was and I definitely didn't think, oh, well, he's going to lead me to ordain ministry. But there was that decisive moment. There was that uh, that freeing moment uh, in my life. And so while I can point to certain particular specific moments in my life that were, that were significant, um, 
at the same time, uh, I also look at them and say, you know what? Those were all manufactured by God. Uh, they weren't manufactured by uh, they weren't manufactured by me. They were manufactured by God. It was His placing those um, seeds um, in my life, and not only placing those seeds, but actually cultivating the soil uh, of of my life, which was often very shallow uh, and often um, very uh, rocky and often quick to receive it, but yet uh, not doing such a great job of staying uh, of staying with it. So uh, one thing I'd like to say about this particular uh, parable is is this. The significance is ultimately the sower. Uh, we we want to get wrapped up in, in, in what type of soil we are. And as I say, it's not it's not irrelevant um, and it's not altogether bad, but if we get too fixated on that, we, we miss the mark because we're, we're thinking about ourselves uh, rather than uh, the, the story is ultimately about the sower. And, and the sower we see just sows um, luxuriously. He doesn't say, oh, this soil's no good. Uh, I'm not going to put any here. I'm not going to invest any here. I'm only going to find the best soil uh, and the other I'm going to have nothing to do with. We, we see that the it's almost indiscriminate in its luxury, the way that the sower casts the seed um, on all of the different soil. But ultimately, too, the, the seed, what is what is the seed? What does the seed do uh, to produce this amazing growth? It dies. Um, you know, what, what does it do? It, it, it dies. It goes into the ground uh, and it dies. And God actually raises it up and enables it to bear fruit. Does, does the soil cultivate itself? No. Um, the, uh, the sower is the one who cultivates um, the soil as well. The, the coming of the kingdom of God, Jesus uh, will share again and again, is mysterious and it's surprising in the way that it works. Uh, and what you and I are called to do, our action in all of this is Jesus says at the beginning and he says at the end, listen, behold, listen, behold. Uh, it's, it's, it's to look to him. Uh, it's, it's to listen um, to him. It's to behold his works. And, and we need to do that repeatedly because he works in sometimes in very clear ways and sometimes in very strange and mysterious ways that, that it, it, at first are perplexing um, to you and to me. But here's the amazing work that we're called to, uh, is to listen um, to him, to behold um, him, to look to him as the one who produces the fruit um, in our lives, who produces the growth in our lives. And that way we don't have to worry about, am I 10, am I 30, am I 50, am, am I 100? Here's the good news. It's, it's in his hands, not uh, in yours and mine. Uh, and uh, let, me, let me pray as... Uh, it's time for me to change and be late um, to the 11 o'clock um, service. So let us pray. Um, Father, thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time. We thank you that you are the one who shapes uh, and fashions us and brings forth life and fruit. And we do long for and, and pray for the opportunity to bear fruit in our lives. Enable us to listen, to behold, um, to look to you who alone is the source of our life uh, our fruitfulness and our salvation. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.